How are you? I'm hanging in there. Good, good, good. In this crazy world we live in. I know, right? I hope you're ready because I have a ton of questions. Oh, no. Rapid fire. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, well, let's, I want to say, you know, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, what the first question, just, uh, you know, what do you do for a living? Yeah. So I'm a project manager slash program manager. Depends on where you work. Those are like interchangeable. Okay. Um, so like, I guess over the course of my career, I've been called all of the above a producer, project manager, um, program manager, product manager. It just depends on what the company guidelines are for those specific titles. But I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you asked me to come on. I always make the joke that like no one tells you in school that this is a career because if someone had told me, I would have been like, I would be so good at that. (laughs) (laughs) So was, was that a goal for you to become a project manager or was that something that you eventually evolve into becoming? It's just something it's, it's not even something that I knew existed. Really? yeah, I mean, because there's project managers for all different industries. Um, so I went to um, grad school at NYU and got my master's in digital marketing and media and wasn't really sure what I was going to do with it at the time. And I think um, I think the key moment, I guess, was I moved cross country had this degree, student loans to pay. Um, And then kind of was like, okay, I need to figure out where my skill set is going to be like best at use. And originally my goal was to go into like a marketing manager type role. Okay. And I was lucky enough to actually um, get a a temporary job uh, from someone that I had known as an account coordinator for a promotional company. basically anything that's branded with a company name, they sold. And so one of the things that they were just starting to do at that time was offer up microsites to some of their clients. So I remember trying to figure out this built platform and how to upload products. And for, it was, so this particular client was, it was an internal platform for Experian. They wanted to run a breast cancer campaign internally and be able to have people like purchase, you know, the ribbons and t-shirts and then all the proceeds would go to the Susan G. Komen Foundation. And so they had talked with a small, like, I wouldn't even call it an agency. It was literally probably some guy in his garage. (laughs) And so he had this like platform that he had built and it was good enough for like the intranet service for people to be able to make those purchases. And it was for a good cause, but that was the first like, hands-on experience I had with web was figuring out how to upload products and like how the system works so that I'd be able to communicate it back to our client at the time um and then from there I was like I I like really like this there's probably like a whole lot more I could learn and I ended up getting my first role um with a really small digital agency and pretty much just took my experience of being able to manage, you know, a small product import, a small micro site, and then scale it to kind of some of the bigger companies that they were working with at the time. And then the responsibilities like were everything from scoping 
figuring out what the requirements are for a project and then being able to build them out so creative like what does the home page look like at that time i didn't even know what the, the main pages of an e-commerce site were and trying to learn and also keep the team on track at the time um was pretty difficult but i'm a pretty organized person in general that's why like i kind of made the joke like if i had known this was a career i'd been like i'd be so good at this like i'm the person who can't like work with clutter around there's nothing on my countertops <laughs> um, but it's weird because in terms of like planning typically not the planning type so like in my everyday life i'm i wouldn't say that like i'm usually just like go with the flow spontaneous but like at work that's all i know so i'm like i'm not sure if it's a good quality to essentially be bossy or if it's a bad quality, but <laughs> I, th I think at this point I get like tired of making decisions over the course of the week. So the weekend rolls around and it's like, yeah, whatever anybody else wants to do, I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> so I've done like, um, I've done planning, but in the more of the aerospace manufacturing field. So I'm kind of curious what the planning looks like in the e-commerce. So yeah, actually, so when we were trying to plan this, I said like, it's been a crazy month, it's January. So we're going into like yearly planning, which obviously initiatives change like COVID, um, like I was with a large social media company um, just prior to this job and going into that planning, nobody could predict the whole COVID situation. Mm -hmm. So like a whole lot of our initiatives, although for a tech company, weren't necessarily online. So there was obviously a big pivot in just what the priorities became once everyone was home and like all of the events that some would have 50,000 plus people, how are we going to still hold events and still continue driving towards the goals that we set for the year, right. but also do it in a safe way with everything that's going on with the pandemic and so like going into planning this year um, with a different company, it's been crazy because you're trying to basically predict from now, which is easy because we know what's in progress right now, but like we don't necessarily know what's going to happen on, in other teams, other organizations with um, other clients, like what might shift. So all you can do is kind of best guess. And so like with planning, it usually starts with like figuring out your quarterly planning. So like usually it's easiest to start with the one that you're in. So like Q1 and then kind of building from there because a lot of things will bleed into Q2, Q3, Q4. But once you get into Q4, it's almost like, uh, do we really know if this is going to happen then? Because right. you know that you're going to have to go into planning halfway through the year and make adjustments. Right. I guess the only thing we can predict, right, is that the internet capabilities have become a key component and i'm super fortunate because this is one job that has continued to grow and hire um during this time so like for me i've been remote for at least half the week for my entire career mm -hmm. so like i already have the routine that people mm -hmm. are having such a hard time adjusting to like i have friends that were saying like I can't wait to go back to work and like have the water cooler talk and like be around other people and be able to take oh, a break so from my desk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
and for me, I'm like, no, like my routine, like I, I, it's great for me, actually. Like I get up sometimes at five in the morning with my dog. We go for a hike before work. I'm home before my first meeting and then kind of just roll through the day and then end of day. Like it's become my dog knows when the laptop closes, it's time to go out again. Like, so like for me, there wasn't a huge shift. Right. Mm -hmm. But like for other people, I think it was really hard to find the routine because it's like, it can be a slippery slope too, because like, there's no commute that saves you from turning off for the day. And so like, I think working at digital agencies, we're never nine to five. It's just not how it is, especially if your clients on the other coast or international. So that was something that being remote has like made it a lot easier because it's a lot easier to take a call at, you know, 630 in the morning from your house than it is to get in the car and go somewhere. So it wasn't a huge shift and the industry itself has just continued to grow. And I think it will continue to grow. I think now we realize how many more jobs can be done remotely and not just these ones. Um, and I think there's a little bit more faith in the staff that's doing those jobs. So I've been super fortunate um, because I, you, this is definitely not something that you would have predicted. You know, I've been doing this eight years. This isn't something that you would have predicted eight years ago. And so like even now, um, like going and being a contractor for some of these really large organizations, the jobs, even when I was looking at the end of my last contract, there was no shortage. Like everyone was hiring and growing because mm. like the industry itself has been huge right right yeah and um you know I, do you think it's a little bit scary that the technology kind of field of it is growing more than just like as the human race <laughs> i think it's got pros and cons right like you and I are at the age where we can remember before the internet was super big, like dial up. God, we sound old, but <laughs> can like remember dial up. And it was like primarily to stay in touch with like your few close friends and things like that. And now, obviously, like everything has kind of moved in that direction. So I think it's got pros and cons because I think it was a simpler time. But I think the pros of connecting people to a world that they wouldn't otherwise be privy to. Um, definitely has its benefits right like from a company perspective you have access to more talent you have better talent um higher quality things like that and then from a personal standpoint like it allows you to communicate with people that you might not otherwise interact with which can be a good thing as well as a bad thing yep, yep. i mean you you got people having pointless arguments like you're going to change someone's mind on the internet. And like, I think that's pretty toxic, but I think also it's your job as a human being to understand like when it's time to just be like, mm, I want no part of it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, well, you mentioned that at first you wanted to be kind of in the marketing, right? What made you kind of want to choose that path? So it's something that's always changing. It's always evolving. There's always different ways to do it. There's always different methodologies. There's always a need for it. Um, for like marketing has been going on for like, like a hundred years. People really? were collecting, collecting names and addresses and data. So like 
this isn't new. What's new is that we're able to automate it in a sense mm -hmm. to do AI technology and understand people from a computer perspective. So there's not physically someone necessarily crunching numbers, although you'll have people who will run reports, but like in the past, it was like someone opened up an Excel spreadsheet and had to like sort by certain SQLs to understand like what campaigns were working and what ones weren't. So I think the interest for me was like, there was a creative aspect and I'm not necessarily a creative person. Like I wouldn't consider myself a creative person, mm -hmm. but I'd like to be. <laughs> so like, I think there was a draw from that sense. And then also mm. um, the challenge of like growing and scaling a business. And like, I was fortunate to like get into an agency at the beginning because they're more fast paced. You deal with multiple industries. Like we had all sorts of clients. I had one client that literally sold farming supplies. Oh, wow. And, yeah. Like everything you could literally buy a chicken and a gun. <laughs> and a backhoe in the same place. So like you kind of become an expert on a lot of different things because you have to understand the business before you can help them figure out what the best case scenario is. So like clients like that, I've had other clients that are pretty big, like music and television production companies. Um, and then in the last couple of years, I've kind of shifted to what we call client side, which means like you're working for the organizations as, as opposed to like an extended agency hired by an organization. So for me, that was a much easier shift because now I'm going from working with five or six different industry clients to just one. So like mm. you have a better shot at figuring out what their branding is, like what's going well, what isn't going well, what conversion is, like what that means right. for your goals next year. And it's not for eight different people. It's just for one. Right. Whereas like, I've already heard that like getting into, so that's the other thing. Most of the positions that I've had have specifically requested agency experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because it's so fast paced and you basically have two stakeholders to keep happy at the same time, both your agency, which has a, has a, a cost associated as well as the client who has hired you for a specific reason. Well, uh, and then the, be you being in the commerce and doing working with the agency, you're able to really see what people out there on the internet are selling, right? From something so ridiculous to something that really makes sense. So, w other than the the farm one, was that the most kind of like thing that shocked you out there? I mean, I think I think I've spent enough time like I said working for a large social media company and seeing what people even write on the internet I think <laughs> has already shown me that you can find anything in any direction geared towards any person group culture individual off the wall kind of stuff especially right. now um I think that was more of a surprise than like what people are selling because like uh, you know, the U.S. is known for being like the land of dreams and like you come here and you can be super successful and, right. you know, we have that benefit. So I don't think it was necessarily a surprise of like, oh, people are able to sell these things. I think it was more so like, wow, this has such a far reach, whereas right. before you might only know about something because there's a store down the street or a market and that's how you know about it but like 
how do you scale a retail business if you're not in that area and the internet has made that possible. And like now there's platforms that make it pretty easy for you to build your own and scale your business that way. I mean, even just Etsy, you can have your products and sell them right on Etsy and Lord only knows what you will find on there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, back to uh, program management, there was, uh, there is now, there's a certification for a program like the PMP, right? Has that really helped your career and reaching your goals? So there's a bunch of different methodologies for project management. And I think it depends on the industry that you're in, um, in the tech, in the tech world. Um, the approach that most tend to be geared toward is what is called agile. Um, and it just means basically instead of having a lot of dependencies before you can start a next step, it's basically being able to say, well, this small piece is done. Now we can go and start Mm. building it while we finish the other pieces. And I have yet to work for a company, even these super large organizations that have um, the resourcing is usually the issue above all else, because even with an unlimited budget that some of these companies do have, the resourcing to have a dedicated resource to be able to associate that with the work that needs to be done. I don't think anyone has been fully agile. Mm -hmm. but I feel like that experience and knowing the different methodologies and kind of being able to pull the pieces from each one for specific projects or specific planning and fit them into what needs to work has been super helpful mm-hmm. because you're not just like slotted into being like, this is the way you do things, A, B, C, D. It's more so like, okay, I know there's different ways to go about it. What's going to work best in this case? And the level of flexibility from company to company tends to vary based on like budgets and how many resources do you have and what the capabilities are and what the requirements are. So knowing both, and then there's subsets of each one. So like with agile, there's lean agile, there's safe agile, and they all mean certain pieces of certain things or certain milestones or certain meeting types or certain ways of documenting certain ways of planning but if you can pull pieces from each one i feel like you're in a much safer spot to be successful right it seems like as soon as you pick like a particular career that you want to dig into like project manager project management the next question would be what do I want to be a project manager to? Do I want to be a project manager to aerospace? Do I want to be a project manager to the IT field? Because once, I mean, just because you're a project manager in the IT field and you go into the aerospace manufacturing or whatever, it may be completely different. Oh, it will be. It will be completely different. There's, there's project managers that like work in construction. I couldn't build a house, nor would you want me to. (laughs) You wouldn't even want me managing the people like building the house. But you need a a website built, a campaign built. Like, I got you, but don't ask me. Or you definitely don't want me building any aerospace stuff. (laughs) Seems like you just have, have to pick your niche first and then just go ahead and focus on that. Because as soon as you try to, you know, use everything that you learned, in a different field, it's going to be completely different. I think you have to have some understanding of at least the process of that industry before you go into it. Because like, I'm not sure that what I know 
from web and tech would be applicable to your job. Like, I'm not sure my processes would work outside of just the requirements. Like I wouldn't even know what the process was. And I mean, I could say like, okay, yeah, first you got a plan, then you got a design, then you got to, but to actually know who needs to do what, when, I think that's just something that kind of comes with knowledge that you already have, whether it be from school or previous position. And I think once you find your niche, you can evolve it. So like if I wanted to go into aerospace, I probably could, but I'd probably have to educate myself on some of the key components and familiarize myself with even just the terminology. Um, Working for some of these agencies on some of the cloud-based tools and technologies, I learn new language every day. Mm. Acronyms galore. Um, Mm -hmm. And from company to company, they differ, but the marketing terms are all the same. Mm. So like segmentation, um, personas, um, you know, KPIs are all the same. So like, what do those mean? Like traffic conversions, like you say that to someone who doesn't have any marketing experience and they have no idea what you're talking about. And that helps me be able to better plan though, because like, I'm like, okay, I know that like this particular project is asking for these KPIs and this is going to take us X amount of time to figure those out. Whereas like, if you go in with no familiarity, what am I going to do? Google it. Like, (laughs) I wouldn't, I wouldn't be very productive. (laughs) (laughs) And this, uh, the PMP certification is that, uh, how were you, how were you able to um, pass the, the test and get that certification? What prepared you for it? A lot of it is experience, oh. truthfully. Um, there is studying involved. There are certain answers that they're looking for, but like a lot of it is experience. I think if you go into it, just thinking that studying, like, yeah, if you have a photographic memory, like you're golden, you pass it, no problem. Mm-hmm. But um, I think understanding the why, um, certain answers are asked and like expected, I think is, but it's, it is hard to study for. There's a lot of information, a lot of different ways to go about things. And like I said, some of the answers are very specific. There's something very specific that they're looking for. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily a deal breaker. I think it has made me slightly more valuable to say, hey, I have this piece of paper, but I can tell you that like most organizations will say like, yeah, it's great. You have a piece of paper. It doesn't mean you're good at it. It's true. Right. Um, because anybody could read a book and write down the right answers. There's some people who are just better test takers. Right. Um, right. This is definitely not a job where that's the case. Like I said, there's been a lot of, I would say one of the main focuses anytime I start a job is they're like, we've been doing something wrong and we don't know what it is in terms of the process. Or like, there's a bunch of silos in communication. How do we fix that? Mm. And my first go-to is like, let me talk to the people that it involves and see what they think the problem is because it's mm. a good place to start. And then being able to figure out from the methodologies that I know, because that's only one methodology. There's many. And mm-hmm. I don't even know them all. And I don't even, I couldn't even tell you like what the differences are across the board. I can tell you the main differences of some of the three main ones, but like it's much easier to go in and be able to make improvements and show your value that way mm-hmm. from a project manager or program manager 
point of view if you have exposure to multiple ways to do things because right. one way is probably not going to necessarily be a one size fits all especially as you start to scale bigger organizations i mean like right now my team itself works differently than some of the other teams within the same organization without specifying your you know your how much you make and all that how much an average how much does a program manager make project program manager make at the beginning and like the most yeah so like project managers like i started at 35,000 a year with a very small agency Wow. Um, I think within like two years is probably like 55. Mind you, I live in California. It's a very expensive state. Yes. <laughs> um, and my family is all on the East Coast, also in a very expensive state. So I think the ability to grow in this role, like as a project manager, and I think that's kind of where you start is starting with a project. Like, let's start with managing projects. A program is essentially many projects spread out mm. so like for me that's kind of how I, I've scaled my career because you basically will go from being like a project coordinator which is basically just like traffic control for certain tasks and things that need to get done and then you'll have a junior project manager which might sit beneath a more senior project manager and help with more day-to-day -day activities and then a senior project manager where they have more experience and they're going to be taking on bigger clients bigger projects more hands-on activity. And then a program manager is someone who's basically responsible for managing all of the individual projects that make up a program with multiple programs that are set out through the course of the year. And like, I started at like $35,000 a year in a very expensive state. And then I have seen program manager salaries as high as 250. Wow. Like and of course, that also depends on what field that you're you chose to go into, right? Yeah, yeah. I would imagine I that, mean, that that would be more more towards the IT where you get over two hundred thousand a year. Yeah, I think the tech industry in general is where you'll see salaries like that. Um, and like you're talking Silicon Valley, where it's very expensive to live. So like, that sounds like a lot of money in theory. Right. But if you if your rent is $5,000 a month, or your mortgage is $5,000 a month, like, that's ridiculous. not as much as you might think. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it is, it is, I would say, a fast growing in terms of like, I would say my salary increases from year to year were probably like, upwards of 10 to 15 percent and i don't think you see that in any industry now hmm. you're you looking grew, at like more two to three percent right and you grew up in the east coast right yeah and, i grew up right outside of um, new york city so uh-huh and then you from there you you went to where california yeah i pretty much wrapped up at nyu and was like if i'm going to move all of my network everyone that i know is here in New York City, mm -hmm. it would be super easy for me to find someone that I know, find a job, grow within the company, move on to the next one, because like, you know, more people I'm in the city. Uh, and I figured if I was going to give it a try to live anywhere else, it would be then before I got settled, and then just picked up and moved. 
so I moved to California without a job <laughs> with a, an apartment that I rented online. I had been here once before for five days because I figured if I failed, I have a super supportive family that would have taken me back in a heartbeat. So I figured worst case is maybe I lose some money by breaking a lease and having to go back and say like, I didn't plan this very well. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wow. And then did you go, did you come to California by yourself or did you have friends or any co or any colleagues? So I, I moved with a boyfriend and I had, I didn't know anyone here. Wow. Um, I had no family. I had no friends. It's also much harder, I think, to make friends as you get older. Like when you're a kid, <laughs> you have like no shame. You're like, hey, want to be my friend? And they're like, yeah. And you're like, okay, great. We're best friends now. We agreed. Right. <laughs> it's a little harder as an adult, especially I think as people start getting married and having kids and houses and, you know, your pipe first, your kid's sick. Like you don't have much time for social activities right. or, you know, your wife's sick. And now like, who's going to take the the kid to dance class and things like that. So I think it gets more difficult. And I don't, I think that was what I was least prepared for was having to go outside of the people that I'd known my whole life, the comfort of that, and basically figure out how to be social again as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> But do you think that also helped you kind of focus more in your career and kind of just get that working so that way because now you don't have any of this well I wouldn't say distraction but you don't have you know family members or even friends that you had to attend to now it's just just you and your work I think initially I thought that was how it was going to go mm -hmm. until you realize that the people from home mm -hmm. are calling at five in the morning because they forgot there's a time difference oh <laughs> Or you're calling someone at like one in the morning. I've literally spoken to my mom, like coming home from the bar at 2 a.m. because she wakes up at five. <laughs> so like just very different pages. Um, so I think initially I was like, oh yeah, this will be great. Like I could just like build a new life, but like it's more figuring out creative ways to stay connected to people so far away and maintaining those relationships. And you very quickly find out who you're important to and who you're not important mm -hmm. to. Mm -hmm. um, because everyone's lives are busy, whether you're married or not married or have kids or don't have kids or own a house or don't own a house. Like everyone's got stuff going on. And I think right. it became very clear to me that on two ends, like people that I thought were my friends were not my friends because as soon as things got rough, They were nowhere to be found. And then on the opposite end, like people that I didn't necessarily consider myself close with, I think kind of came through in those lonely times of like, am I doing something wrong? Am I just not a likable person? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and then culturally, these are two right. very different posts. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> Culture is extremely different. I... I think the first several jobs I had, I was called abrasive at every one of them. <laughs> But it's not, that was not my intention. It's just, I grew up in a place that was so fast paced. You right. only have a certain amount of time to get your point across before they've completely checked out. <laughs> right. That's... But coming out here where it's a little bit more laid back, I think I discovered that, and it's not everyone, of course, but like 
for the most part, I think I discovered that like the way that I was used to communicating was coming across how I didn't mean it to. Mm -hmm. So you, you notice a big difference from New York to California, right? As far as fast pace and all that. And see, I, I found, I, I kind of came across the same thing from California to Texas. It's huge because, and you know, here in Texas, people are more, uh, the people are more separated. There's, they have more patience. You know, we go sometimes to the grocery stores and people are just uh, standing, having their conversation like nothing. I'm just like, can you guys hurry up? You know? Like but, I have other things that yeah. I need to do today. <laughs> After a while, I just I just decided to just give him like you know what? In reality, like what's what's the hurry? You know. I think that's just as you get older as a person, you start to realize like I'm just getting closer to my deathbed. <laughs> <laughs> I think I I don't know that the pace is too far different. I don't think I could live in a place that was not fat first of all I needed ocean that was a requirement when I was choosing mm. where to live mm-hmm. um I, I grew up on the Atlantic Ocean I wasn't going to sacrifice my salt water therapy <laughs> um but I think the other thing is I don't know how much slower paced I could go than this I mm-hmm. I don't think that the pace is, is is slower I think it's more so the mentality is more laid back but not to a huge degree but enough where I always say I can kind of where it's noticeable right yeah at least to me but that's also like at I'm almost 33 years old so I've been seven years here Mm -hmm. and so like that's 25 years of trying to like break communication patterns and like just things that I was used to so culturally the way that I was brought up and then I go to like even more laid back places and I'm like, how does anyone live here? (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, if if that's all you know, then like, that's all you know. I think it also depends like kind of what you want and where you're at, you know, when you're single and you have no family, then, you know, you go ahead and take advantage and do whatever you need to do. You know, that's why another reason why we enjoy here in Texas, because it's more, it's laid back. You need more patience, especially when when you have kids. You need more patience. So this this environment and this area kind of does help, you know, as far as that. Yeah, no, for sure. And I I I think that being at that age, like I don't, I think that's why I knew that if I waited, I would have gotten kind of more rooted where mm-hmm. I was at. Whereas, like even now, if I wanted to go back to my family, like I had, I actually had one very tough year where I had lost the boyfriend that I had moved out here um and then my brother had also passed away that same year and then my grandma had passed away and everyone's solution then was come home Mm. and I was like and I could have I could very easily pick up and go back but I was like I'm not sure that that would solve all my problems (laughs) right right wow yeah, that must have been, it seems like it was a really stressful time for you and making that decision to, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say like not give in, but because it would, do you think you would have gone and then you would have just, you know, kind of give in and just stay there? I think that what I've said to other people is like, 
the people who are asking me to come home can't even answer my phone calls when I call. Uh, like, what am I going to just drop by their house? Right. Like, <laughs> like I, I think the intention was good of like, there's more support, but I don't think the follow through and at no one's fault, like everyone has their own lives and has right. things that they have to accomplish and like things they have to take care of, like your husband, your kids, like definitely more important than my problems. Like these are my problems, <laughs> <laughs> but I think the intention was like, there'll be more support, but I think I knew in actuality that mm. I was getting the level of support just in a different form. Right. And so like picking up and moving the life that I built here over the course of at that time, you know, a couple of years doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's like, I feel like I would have been sacrificing a life that I built for myself right just to go back to something that was comfortable and sometimes that is what you need to do and I think my career has kind of put me in the way of saying what other pieces can we move to make this work and so for me it was like I built my life here over the last several years like what pieces can I move to make it work and like I was fortunate enough to have some really great friends out here that you know were there for me and dragged me out to eat when I was had no appetite and you know pulled me out of the office to go to the gym and you know things like that and I think you just start to appreciate those things a little bit more when you don't have the comfort of home right. whereas like when you do I think you just rely on those a lot more yes 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 true so now from you know from back then to now you're now you've worked in like big time companies right how yeah. I mean how does that how do you feel how does that feel I think it's a sense of pride that mm -hmm. not only did I build a personal life in a place that I don't think I realized how difficult um being so far from what you know and being able to grow your own life and kind of like push forward. But I do think that my career to some degree gave me a sense of pride because if I didn't have that um, to pour myself into sometimes and it gave me kind of the tools of like, okay, this isn't working. How do we make it work? Right. And it's trial and error. And like, these are things that like human emotions are not necessarily cut and dry, black and white. So I think for me, it was a sense of pride, a sense of growth, like some of these big time companies, like these are dreams that I had when I worked at that mm. first agency with 15 people, like, how do I get there? Mm. And then now to be in the position where my resume, I'm getting, I, I, I get reached out to by recruiters all the time it's a sense of pride for me, but I also don't have a husband. I don't have kids. Like, so my sense of pride is like, what have I built here for myself? And so that's my career at this point. Mm -hmm. So, and then the jobs that you've had and the job that you have now, those are the way you attain them was by companies reaching out to you or were these places that you had applied for? So actually the last two roles that I've had have been with two major companies right. and both were via recruiters reaching out and that initial position was a dream job wow. um 
and someone had reached out and I thought, I am never going to get hired. They have their pick of talent and there is no way. And I remember going back to friends and then going through the process and being like, I don't want to get my hopes up, but like, I feel like I'm like almost through the process. And like, next thing you know, like job offer in hand. And I'm like, how did we get here? And so like, I think for me, that was a bigger surprise because again, I'm working for some pretty large agencies, but nothing in comparison to like the social media company that hired me. Like in terms of employee count, we're talking maybe a hundred people maximum at a digital agency. And now we're talking, you know, 20,000, 30,000 people in one location. Wow. So when you got the, when you got the, where is it like an email or when you got the notification from the recruiter that you're going to be working at this huge social media company, you know, how did, what was, what was running through your head? Was this a mistake? Like, (laughs) (laughs) did they mix me up with someone else? Um, No, I think it was like, I hope I can be successful. I've never worked client side before. Um, I hope they see something in me and I could, could be pretty hard on myself, but like, I hope they see something in me that I don't see in myself. Like, I thought this was a far reach and like the process for me, I've heard stories of people going through like the process with some of these big companies for like months, if mm-hmm. not longer. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was two weeks from the start of my process to mm-hmm. the time that I started was two weeks. It was very quick. I did not have oh, much wow. time to decide. There was a lot of travel involved going mm-hmm. back and forth. Oh, really? Um, and that was all paid by the company? Wow. Along with a very nice salary (laughs) and some very nice benefits. Yeah. Um, I think it was more so like they have their pick of talent. Why did they choose me? I'm not a genius by any means. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd like to think I'm pretty educated, um, open-minded, but you have people who graduated college when they were 15 why am I here (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then working working there um was now and you obviously you don't work for that social media company anymore right I I don't my contract ended so so it was based on the contract oh okay so as if when you go into a contract for a company like that is there potentially another chance that you could go back or is it just like one year, two years and that's it? So so that particular company, so every company is different in terms of their like terms and agreements for contractors. The company that I'm with now doesn't have any limits on their contractors. So like Mm -hmm. their contractors, like there's contractors that have been employed in that same role for five, six, seven years. Mm -hmm. And so they're basically an integrated part of the team. there's other companies that put limits because depending on the state that you're in, your relationship with the company can get very blurry as to whether a contractor versus full-time. And so lawsuits happen when Um, people are not afforded the benefits of a full-time employee, but are so integrated in the company. So the way that some companies have circumnavigated that is putting a limit 
and saying you need to be away from the company for this amount of time and then you can come back and contract again. You can transition directly to a full-time position, but if you don't, then you have to take a break of service is what it's called. Mm. And then work, working there, um, like what was your, how was it on your, like your daily routine? Was it very yeah. and stressful? So I was actually not on the consumer side. I was on the business side. So oh, wow. my audience was small and large businesses. Um, and on specifically the web team. So I was responsible for all the digital assets that were associated with that domain address. And basically anything, whether it be copy, the strategy, the, the tracking, the KPIs, the web builds, the engineering, mm -hmm. are we building a new feature, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, all of those fell under my wheelhouse. And I don't think I realized how this kind of small and mighty team was able to get all of this work done. Because you assume that there's like gotta be a couple hundred people behind some of the work that goes into some of these big companies. And I can tell you that my team itself, although we'd have stakeholders from other teams and like the larger organization, like the team that actually did the work was 20 people. Wow. Now, do you think that's because there's a loss of talent or because they, or is it because they just need to hire more people? Down to... So we were always hiring and not because of the turnover, but because of growth. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that is the only company that I never had a budget. Wow. <laughs> it was unlimited. Uh -huh. um, because although there's budgets in place, right. I feel like they're more markers than they were hard stops. Whereas a smaller organization, literally, if they don't have the money, they don't have the money. This is the type of company that could find the money. Mm -hmm. So I think in being able to hire fast enough and being able to, to maintain the trajectory is something that the company has to balance because you don't necessarily know if a team is going to grow super fast or super slow, mm -hmm. or if something like COVID is going to happen. And I think I saw more of a gap when COVID happened and we started pulling these 50,000 plus events mm -hmm. to webinars mm -hmm. because someone's got to build the places that these things are all hosted and that mm -hmm. would fall under our team, but no one predicted that. And so like, it was like hiring as fast as you can, but I think in finding people that are going to stay and be a good fit for both the role as well as the team and have the knowledge base, I think it's a little bit more difficult than people assume mm -hmm. because there's a lot of super talented people. Mm -hmm. But I think when you're trying to find a long-term fit, I think it's a little bit more difficult. So right. I don't think it was a budgetary thing. I think it was a circumstantial and a, you know, finding the right talent kind of thing. Right. Have you seen the, the movie, uh, The Social Dilemma? I haven't. Uh, um, mm -hmm. I mean, I know the premise. I know the premise. Um, yeah, I mean, my thoughts on social media, like I said, I think it's good to stay connected. Mm -hmm. But I also think 
is that how we got here? Like <laughs> as a society, because I don't want to put the blame on it, but I'm like, you have Joe Blow over there on his soapbox preaching to his friends about something that is crazy, but they have a platform. And right. so like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because like a country that's built on free speech, right? And now we've just given everyone access to their own soapbox. Now we see what free speech looks like. <laughs> I, I think we opened Pandora's box and I don't yes. think that was the intention, right? Like right. I think when social media started out, it was truly to keep people connected. And I think the people that kind of have the off the wall ideas and things to say, now have an audience because there is guaranteed somewhere in the world at least five other crazy people that agree with them <laughs> yeah and then after oh well the reason why i brought up social dilemma was because in social dilemma there's um there's a guy that actually speaks who was working at google and one of the things that he mentions was that you know google isn't full of employees all over the place it's like what you say, it's a team about from like 20 to 25 people. And most of the company consists of space for the servers. Is that kind of where, what your social media company was like? So for us, there was several offices, all with different teams, different organizational structures. Um, you have to keep in mind that social media is only about 15 years old. Mm-hmm. It's not very old at all. I mean, like it didn't exist. There were some social aspects to the internet prior, but like we're talking 15 years ago, social mm-hmm. media began to exist. So how do you plan this far ahead? It's right. not possible. All you can do is have a mission and continue to strive towards it. And so for us, we had a bunch of main offices and like they were kind of segregated by team. So like that could mean in most cases, it was a product that was owned by the company because they own multiple products. And basically they might have a business team, then they have a consumer team then Mm. under the, like there's multiple different pieces. And so it wasn't necessarily that everyone kind of didn't work in the offices that were assigned. It was more so that like, they're more siloed by team and the people involved. And you work with people outside of it because that's how the company itself runs as a whole. But like you're responsible for one piece of a huge machine. Right, right. So the people that you work with on a day-to-day basis are 20 people. Right. And you might interact occasionally on some bigger projects with some other stakeholders and other groups, but like, it's not daily. It's more so like giving updates or their pieces falling into place at the same time your pieces are making sure that an announcement, for example, is approved by legal before the social teams are posting about the announcement because if it hasn't been announced, we know that the media is going to very quickly pick up on it. And so now social has just announced it before the formal announcement or PR has had a chance to kind of make the announcement. Mm. So you have to, so like, although I'm not on the PR team, we're getting stuff 
approved by legal, going through PR, like comms, um, other marketing teams, social teams, depending on what entity you work on. So I think it's kind of understanding. And then like those businesses over the course of the last 15 years have exploded in terms of growth. So constant reorganizational structure, like what it was two years ago when I started to what it is now is very different, even just really? in terms of who reports up to who. Mm. And then with, you know, it's also another thing that they uh, brought up in social dilemma is that even the, like the people that work for some of these social media companies, they know what really it's about. So what they do is they, when they come home, they try to, you know, keep their, they have kids or they have a wife, they try to keep them off of it as much as they can, because now they know more of it. And, you know, just like with you working inside of that, is there like some things that you kind of made you think about social media or kind of gave you like a different perspective of it? I think my perspective has always been the same, that like social media is not real life. It's not. I don't care how real people try to be on it. Mm -hmm. If you go look at my Instagram page right now, you would think that I'm some influencer who lives in Los Angeles and does nothing but travel. Not the case. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, we had the scheduled prior and I've been so busy. I was like, can we do this later in the day? Um, it's not real life. Um, I think that's something that I knew before I went into it. I think you run into trouble when you start to take it as fact because mm. you're just, there's other, like, it's not like there's an expert. Like I remember the days where they sold Britannica's and you had to go look things up in an encyclopedia. And that mm -hmm. is fact. That's, that's actually like established factual information. The internet and social media has allowed people to turn opinions into fact. And mm. it's, it's up to the person who's consuming it to establish how realistic it is. Whereas before you could read two different points of views and then it was your job to just determine. But like now, like what commercial was it where there was like, I read it on the internet, it must be true. Like oh, that, right. that, yeah. that is like the world we live in now is people are like, I read it on the internet, it must be true. And like um no <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i think the missions of each one of these social media companies and tech companies in general i think there's good intentions right, right. i don't think it's just profit based i think that the people and leadership involved went in with good intentions but how do you pull from the positives of being able to connect people to ideas and opinions they may not have otherwise been subjected to without filtering people and and kind of pushing the herd in one direction or another it's really difficult right so i think my opinion has just kind of been reaffirmed in the sense of what is on the internet is up to us to read and digest and determine what pieces of it are factual and what are opinion. Right. And I think the problem is, especially for some of the younger generations that kind of grew up with the internet, it's taken more as fact. And there is no like, okay, you know, Omar wrote this in Texas, 
like must be true. Like, right. no, it's you can write whatever you want just because it's written doesn't make it factual. And I think for me, it's kind of reaffirmed that like what you see on the internet is not fact. Yeah. And that's not what it's meant for. It's, it's, it's meant to be able to perpetuate your opinions and your ideas. But I think we may have taken it too far. So like when I say like, did we open Pandora's box? I don't think this is something that someone could have predicted would grow to the scale and so quickly. And so like, how do you put the cap back on? You can't, but like, how do you control it without over controlling it? And so I don't know what the answer is. And I think I'd probably be rich if I didn't know the answer to that. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, like we're seeing it right now, like with, you know, should we censor this person or censor that person? Like, I don't know. We are in a country where you're not supposed to do that. But at the same time, if it's inciting violence, then like, yeah, we need to do something. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's a, that's always a a tough discussion because you know, once you censor somebody, that's won't that be going against the whole, you know, freedom of speech. But then again, you know, there's people out there, unfortunately, that the first thing that they see on the internet, they're gonna go by that. And a lot of Which people is now terrifying. Yes. And a lot of people now they don't really have time to dig into it or don't even want to have the time to 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 go into it, get the actual facts, especially not because there's I mean, tons upon tons, you know, there's from the, from the media, there's bloggers, there's from articles. So even if you feel like, even if you think you're reading the right stuff, it might not be. Oh, a hundred percent. I think the biggest thing is I always say that for whatever your point of view, you can find sources for it, whether they're legitimate is a whole nother story. And so to your point about people wanting to find the truth, I don't know that that is the case. I think people get very attached to an opinion. Mm. And so they find validating evidence of their opinion, as opposed to before the internet, we were forced Mm. to read literal fact from a book and then pretty much add our opinion to it to comprehend what was being read. Whereas like now that comprehension is being taken as fact. So like, I mean, uh, you've got people who think that reptilians run Hollywood. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe they're <laughs> not wrong. Maybe I'm the crazy one. But I mean, like, how did we get here? And you have other people that are like, oh, my God, that's so true. I mean, like, I'm going to feel real dumb, like, 10 years from now, if that turns out to be factual. But, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, if that was already a belief in my head and now someone else posted it, I'd be like, right, see? Whereas like before it would be like, "Mm, is that realistic? Could that happen? This book says that, you know, humans are conceived this way and reptiles this way. Probably not. I feel like also maybe, um, you know, some people want to be heroes or some people want to be right. So, you know, they push on this idea that they have so that way everybody's aware of it so that once you know the truth does comes comes you know comes out you know exactly who was the first one that thought of it but i mean just like everything everything takes takes time to you know really investigate and find out the actual facts but i feel like now people want answers you know right away and i think we're kind of the internet is 
the internet is kind of responsible, I think, for that instant gratification too. Mm. Like True. when we were kids, we had to pick up a book and read through each line. Now I can literally Google that same book and get a paragraph summary. Instant gratification. I don't have to read 370 pages. I can now just read a paragraph and I know what the plot, who the characters are. And so I think the internet has provided us with a vast amount of information, but it's also made us lazy. Yes. So now it's like things that we use that were a part of everyday life. We don't have to do them anymore because the internet is there, but I think there's so much reliance on it. I mean, think about how many things would go wrong if the internet was gone tomorrow. Yes. Like we have full-blown industries that the internet is running. Right. Whether that be media, technology runs, the airplanes you travel in, there's cars that are manipulated by technology. Like if technology went away, like we'd be churning our own butter. Like, <laughs> right, right. So, and that's, and that's one of the things I was uh, thinking about the other day where for some reason, you know, when my laptop wasn't working and I was like, and I was working on my podcast. So I was like, you know, if technology wasn't around, how would I get my podcast out there? <laughs> I mean, even just from like a store perspective, like think about how much more difficult mm-hmm. it would be to scale a brick and mortar store when you don't even have access to someone in Kansas. Right. How do you let people in Kansas know? You send them mail. Like, yeah. I think, and I think it's just been such a quick shift to like our reliance on technology. I mean, like you have a small child who probably knows how to use an iPad better than mm-hmm. you and I. Mm-hmm. And I work in the industry. Like, <laughs> right. like you see like one-year-olds now who like, I'm on a MacBook right now. It's not touch screen, but they're touching the screen trying to figure out why it doesn't work that way. Right. Like that's a little bit terrifying that like that is so ingrained in our everyday life that like a one-year-old is now like swiping. Right. Yeah. I think it, I think we need for all that, you know, just like for everything, we need a a balance, you know, balance of having both because, you know, with everything, if we have too much of anything, that's going to be bad for us, you know, whether it might be technology or it might be food, whatever it might be, but we always need a balance to, you know, maybe put timers on our kids with, with tablets or with laptops or with phones or whatever and then for the rest of the part, maybe they're out there riding their bikes, riding their scooter or something, kind of having a balance between, you know, technology and more of the physical world, you know, and I feel like that's something also that we're, we're lacking of and it's just scary to think. I mean, it's good. That's what I mean, like balance, because it's good because now people, the, the kids are, you know, they're learning faster. Even as the laptops, they have games that are helping them grow and help them then learn. So that's the positive. But I mean, it's not good if they're on it all day long. No. And I mean, like I can tell you like 14 year olds don't look like they did when I was 14. I had braces and like could barely like put myself together with an outfit that matched. Like now you see little, little girls who do not look like little girls. And like, that's the precedent that is set which is terrifying because they're children, but they look like adults. And like, that's 
terrifying but like that's the precedent is like if all my friends are you know dyeing their hair and wearing these clothes like it's very difficult i think to tell your kid no because then they're going to be an outcast right and so like how do you find the balance of like being a good parent and raising a child that you would be proud of as an adult to make respectable decisions with not wanting to alienate them from the culture that is now Mm -hmm. and I think it does come down to balance but like it also comes down to like the greater community because like you can set rules all day Mm -hmm. long but if your kids friends Mm. don't have the same rules they're now educating your child right (laughs) which is also terrifying right right so it kind of needs to be like a community-based thing and it's like I remember like because we didn't have cell phones and things like that. And like, when I say I'm bored, my mom and dad would say, well, go outside and play. I would walk all the way down the street. We'd go play in the woods. And then I'd come home at a certain time. (laughs) And like, now it's not safe to do that anymore. Right. And so like, how do you find the balance between your own time? Because like, when you go let your kid play outside, you need to be outside because the world is not like it used to be. Like I said, you have 14 year old little girls that don't look 14 anymore. Right. Do you think so, the world is scarier now or the world is more exposed? I think it's more exposed. I think it was just as scary then, but now we run into the problem where it, since it's more exposed, you get people who are copycats. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think it perpetuates a cycle of more and more and more and more of bad things happening because you have people who are getting ideas off of someone who's done it states or even countries away because access to information is so different. So like, do I think kids got kidnapped 30 years ago? Yes, people absolutely did. There was terrible stories, but since it wasn't so easily accessible, like we didn't know about the little girl who went missing, you know, five states over, six states over. Like now it's plastered not only on the news, but all over the internet. And so you're like, is it happening more? And I think it is, but I think it's also because potentially unstable people are like reading these things, getting ideas on how to go about committing what they believe is the perfect crime. And so like now it's like a cycle and like, I don't know how you break that. And I think it's made the world scarier as a result of kind of both knowing about more things and then unstable people getting ideas. Right. Yep. So does the this the company that you work for now, how different is that from the social media? Um it's not that different, truthfully. Um, and the reason is because the company I work for now was a hardware company for technology that has now acquired over the course of its existence a lot of cloud-based products, which Mm. is what we're all familiar with being mm-hmm. able to turn on your xbox and download a game instantly where like you and i remember blowing into cartridges on our nintendos and putting them back in <laughs> so i think a lot of my clients are businesses mm-hmm. for cloud-based technology which is social media company is a cloud-based technology like mm-hmm. yeah we have servers but a lot of that is hosted Mm-hmm. elsewhere it might be a secure hosting within the company's walls but it's still 
the same type of organization. Right. Um, I think the social media company is more privy to some of the needs. So, because they were built out of that generation, whereas like an older company that was only in hardware prior, like this is somewhat new. And although they've acquired software pieces, they're still a hardware company. Right. So like some of the older people and leadership that have been around for longer just don't understand it. They don't understand who's consuming it. They don't understand how to target them. They know that they need to, to keep the business alive and running. But I think it's, it's truly like people our age who's responsible for kind of educating them on best practices, because this is a product that they didn't have before. Right. So I think in terms of innovation, I think the social media companies, I think all of them are constantly innovating. Mm-hmm. But I think from a hardware company perspective, like that's who's purchasing them and or acquiring mm-hmm. these types so of they're, things. They're both kind of backing, backing each other up. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. um, like tech companies, a lot of people like make comparisons between some of like the four main tech companies. And like, if you think about it, none mm-hmm. of them have the same mission. Google's mission is very different from Facebook, LinkedIn, right. um, some of like Twitter, Twitter and Facebook, completely different missions. Mm. So like all those social media, they're geared towards very different types of people. Mm-hmm. And so I think they're more on the ground in terms of figuring out those innovations where some of the hardware companies that are getting into the, the cloud-based stuff um and products is pulling the information from kind of what's already been tried by some of these newer companies fresher Mm -hmm. companies younger Mm -hmm. companies right um to stay relevant and successful and i think they'll both be successful but for very different missions and goals right so like my job right now is on a marketing team for cloud products for a hardware company and so I don't know a whole lot about hardware, but I know a lot about cloud products and mm. I know how to market them. Um, and I know the process that goes into them. Whereas a social media company, they are a cloud product mm-hmm. in one way, form or fashion, like it is a cloud product. And in my position there, I was on the business side. So it's really no different in that sense. It's just kind of a different look at the same type of industry. It's both technology. It's both pieces of technology with a deeper dive in one space or another. And so like, I always think it's funny when people are like, oh, you know, Google and Facebook, Mm -hmm. very different companies. Yes, both tech, tech companies, but very different. Like mm-hmm. I, be- I believe that Google's mm-hmm. mission is to is to make information more readily available, something okay. of that sort. And I believe Facebook's is to connect people. And I believe Twitter's is to give people a platform to speak. Do all of those things do some aspect of each one of those missions? Yes. But mm-hmm. like the, the main goal of each one, I think is very different. So like when people mm-hmm. make it sound like they're competitors, they're not. In fact, they use they use each other's products. Like right. <laughs> they're not exactly sharing 
some of like the confidentiality stuff, but like I, they're using each other's products. Right. <laughs> like you see Google ads on Facebook. You see right. Facebook using Google products. Right. Like you well, they so kind of complement one another, right? Yes. Yep. And so I think for the people who are like, oh, the the big tech companies, like, no, they all kind of work hand in hand. Um, they didn't get here by themselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So the the cloud, you know, for me, who I under, I don't understand much of IT. Is there like one cloud or does each company have its own cloud or, you know, can you explain how the cloud works? Yeah, so it depends. You can have one cloud, but that sounds like the space would get used up very quickly. Typically it's allocated space within a larger cloud. So you can easily purchase more. So like on your iPhone, for example, you probably notice like, hey, you have a million and seven pictures. You need to buy more storage. Mm -hmm. Well, you go in and click a few buttons and now you have more storage. How does that work? They just allocated you a bigger percentage of the storage space that exists, which is usually it's the same big companies. And sometimes they're hosted and managed by the bigger companies for privacy and security reasons. Um, for example, like financial industries, health industries, because of the security reasons behind them, they are responsible for keeping that data safe because there's confidential information um, within it. So they can't outsource it. It's more so they're responsible for managing it or hiring a company that's specifically hired for that and they do exist mm. government like so does the data does the data from one cloud just keep on getting passed over to another cloud or another cloud as it needs more space sort of mm. it's basically like adding more blocks to the current one as mm -hmm. opposed to a different one like it's mm -hmm. all part of one massive like the cloud is just a way of saying like it's a type of server that instead of having to have a physical box where like before, like a hardware server, if you ran out of space, you had to go buy another one, you had to connect it. And that's how you get more space. A cloud basically allows you to purchase that space remotely in the land of the interwebs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what's crazy when, you know, when you have all the data and it's saved on the cloud and it's kind of hard to picture it because what do you picture? Like how it, for it to just magically disappear onto some place where you have no idea, you know? And there's, I mean, there's network engineers that could probably get into the real thick of it. But I mean, there are still companies that run off of hardware servers. Um, and like I said, like some of like the government, they have their own hardware servers because it's much more secure. Mm -hmm. Like as much as we'd like to think cloud servers are secure and like Apple does a pretty good job. Like mm -hmm. it's not, I, I could be wrong. It might be at their office, but it's not physically there. Mm. We can throw it out the window if it's compromised. <laughs> like that's not how it works now. It's kind of opened up a lot of convenience because you don't run out of storage because you could just buy more 
without having the setup, it's very easy. You can remote access it, but if someone's able to remote access it to set it up, it means that someone is also able to remote access it in some mm -hmm. capacity if they can figure that out. Mm -hmm. And so like some of the larger companies, like they've had data breaches. Right. But I mean, should we really be surprised? Like no. if someone can, can get your credit card data, like, Right. I mean, are we surprised that are we surprised that like social media companies are mining data for for like marketing purposes? Because like there's people who are able to hack servers and get your credit card numbers. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let me ask you the last question. What is to you? What is success? And do you think that you've reached your full potential of success? God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> What am I going to do for the next 35 years? <laughs> um, so success, I think, is adding to the greater good, mm -hmm. for one. So whether that be to a company that provides to the greater good, whether that be to your team, I think overall providing to the greater good, I think it also means enjoying what you do. I have always said I do not want to work at a job where I go in and I punch a clock and then I come home and then I do it all over again, like Groundhog's Day. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not, I don't care what the salary is. Um, it's not for me. I need something that makes me want to continue to learn and to grow. And I find myself kind of digging deeper into certain aspects, like the development side of things. I'm not a web developer by any means. I know what the process is. And I've gained that information from working with some really, really brilliant people, but I am not a web developer. I think success is being inquisitive and not losing that curiosity and applying your own skill sets and knowledge to the greater good. And that was the other thing that I had always said is like working at a digital agency, they're very profit-based. It's pretty much like you hired us to do a job. We're going to do the job and it's just to make money. Mm -hmm. I think for some of these larger companies, I think it goes beyond that. It affects society. Right. That is for the greater good. What I'm doing applies to society. Right. So to answer your question, I definitely, I've been successful, but I don't think I've reached some like platinum tier level of success. And I, I hope that I never do. I, I mm. think. I would be incredibly bored. <laughs> um, and I don't think, I don't think you ever will. I think the purpose of, of kind of life itself is to continue learning and growing. And I think if you've reached success, then I think you kind of shut off your brain to any opportunity for that. And I hope that never happens. I'd like to stay somewhat open-minded and hopefully when I'm like 80 years old, I hope I can still say I'm still learning something and I'm still giving back in some capacity. And like right. I've used even some of the skills that I have to help nonprofits build out their websites for free. So mm -hmm. although not through my day-to-day -day job, my side jobs have allowed me to give back that way. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's different for everyone. But for me, I, I, I think that my measure of success is much greater. <laughs> right. So you have more to do. You have very, you know, high you're a very high position and working for huge a huge company and even prior to that you've worked at huge companies 
what and obviously that you know those those jobs that you have as a product manager those can be very stressful and um you know busy what do you do anything that kind of that helps you keep yourself sane and focus and you know with patience i think a lot of that comes from learning yourself and i think for me when I have those unmotivated days. Like I have learned to sometimes, like I would normally force myself and force myself and force myself. But I think I've learned now, like it's okay to not be that motivated today, mm. as long as this isn't ongoing. Mm. And so I think it's being able to pull the pieces from your job because, like, there's definitely things at every job I've ever had that I hate doing they're tedious or like, I don't like the person that I have to deal with or whatever the case may be. But I think the way that you manage that is something that you kind of learn and grow with experience. And I think if you asked me that question five years from now, I think I'd have a completely different answer. But I think for me, it's learning that it is not the end of the world. If like something doesn't happen today, there is tomorrow and there are ways to do it that don't cost money or don't lose value. And I think it's just figuring out when to stop putting pressure on yourself mm -hmm. and kind of just going with the flow and knowing that like tomorrow's a new day and striving to be better. So like being able to pull the motivation out for me is on some tedious things. I'm like, nothing about this motivates me, nothing. And this is going to be the next six months. So like, I need to like, get my head in the game. And so if I can't listen to another meeting, I'm able to record a meeting and go back and take notes on it now. Like, mm -hmm. so I can afford myself like, okay, I was involved, I'm here, I'm present, but I just don't have the headspace for it. But it's okay as long as I keep on track of my duties of managing the certain aspects of it. So I think there's different ways and I think, overall success varies to person to person but like I hope I hope I'm not even friends with anyone who thinks that they're quote-unquote successful like <laughs> what does that even mean like I'm a hot mess otherwise like yeah I have a good job pay my bills on time right but like I think we're all kind of hot messes honestly <laughs> right well I think you have you know like you said before you have that you know you're very open-minded and you're willing to challenge yourself you know, so you're not really feeding an ego for yourself. Because I feel like there's people that do feed an ego. And oh, and they'll sell their soul for whatever exactly. it is that they're doing. I never want to be that person. And I always say, like, as long as I have enough money to pay my bills, I'm set. Right. I am fortunate enough to make a nice salary and afford nicer things in my life. But also know that that is not what makes people happy all the money in the world does not make people happy. It's the people you surround yourself with. It's the knowledge that you learn. It's mm. the values that you have. It's the morals. And if you're willing to sell those all for money, you are going to have a miserable, very lonely life. And I want no part of it. Right. So like, I think success comes in like you as an individual and not necessarily in what you do. And I think the moment you let your job define you is the moment that you are set up for disaster. Very nice. So that's a good way to end it. <laughs>
welcome. <laughs> thank you again, Gina. Thank you for all the wonderful information and thank you for doing this again. And maybe yeah. later we'll, you know, we'll see what more opportunity. I'm sure, you know, with your mindset and your work ethic, I'm sure I'll be I'll continue to be more interested of in what you're doing next. Yeah, I mean, I'm I, I I'm going to send you some other people that you can interview I'll on do. their point of views because I'll, they have thank you. way different jobs and um I think it'll be crucial to people who listen and just want to explore like what else is out there in the world, but like thank you for taking the time and also like for going deeper than just like hey, what do you do on a day to day? Thank you again, Gina. I appreciate it. Bye. Thank you.